May the words of my mouth, the thoughts of our minds and desires of our hearts be pleasing to you and in accordance with your will. There's very little in this world which is permanent. Everything changes, whether we like it or not. Times change, technology changes, people change, families change, homes change, governments change, even the climate and the weather changes. But perhaps most importantly, we ourselves change. Our attitudes, our beliefs, our bodies and our health changes over time. Many changes do seem good, but on the other hand, some things don't seem to change nearly fast enough. People still starve to death. Children still die of preventable diseases. People still don't have clean water and sanitation. Men still work in hellish diamond mines for a dollar a day, whilst others become billionaires. Women are oppressed and abused the world over, and children forced into labour. People who speak out the world over are still mercilessly tortured. I wonder what you think about this changing world. Does it inspire you? Does it fill you with hope? Do you yearn for things from the past, or do you look forward to the future? Does it thrill you, or does it overwhelm you? Keeping ourselves grounded and living in the present in this changing world can be very difficult. Keeping hopelessness at bay can be hard. Our hopes and dreams can fade under the pressure of paying the bills, buying food and fuel. Our passion for life can become buried under the details of our busyness. When I was thinking about what to say on Palm Sunday... I found myself drawn strongly to the book of Ecclesiastes, written by King Solomon, focusing on much of the futility of man's actions in the face of perpetual change, because Solomon teaches us that nothing is permanent. He says, for everything there is a season, a time for every matter under the heavens, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to harvest, a time to keep silent and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate, and a time for war and a time for peace. Palm Sunday is one of those few services in the church year which seem very familiar, very reassuring and very permanent. One of the few comforting anchors on which we can ground our lives. But as our lives in our world and our attitudes change inexorably, our attitude to Palm Sunday might naturally change also. So Palm Sunday begins with the cry, Hosanna! This call, Hosanna, it's very unusual in the Bible. It actually only occurs six times about the triumphal entrance, which surprised me. And it's also a very strange word, because at some stage between the Old and New Testaments, Hosanna became a word of jubilation, such as hooray. But its original meaning is very different. Its original meaning in the Old Testament is save me. And it's not just save me as you might ask a friend in need. You speak to God and you say, save me, my God. Hosanna. These are very different interpretations and ones which can put an entirely different spin on the account of the so-called triumphal entrance of Jesus into Jerusalem. Sometimes a different way of looking at something can entirely change your perceptions of it. Does anyone recognise this picture? It's very famous. It's iconic. 
In some sense, it's the essence of passion. I may break this picture's image in your mind by what I'm going to say, but to many people, victory in Japan, in America, in Times Square, people spilled into the streets. A sailor came out of a bar, there was a nurse, they kissed passionately, and someone took the photograph. A long time after this was taken, CBS tracked down the two people. The sailor, whose name was George Mendonza, said he was in a bar, he heard the war had ended, he was so jubilant, he went out into the streets, kissed the nearest person he could find. The account of Miss Friedman, the nurse, is very, very different. She said, I did not see him approaching, and before I knew it, I was in a vice-like grip. She said, the man was very strong. I wasn't kissing him. He was kissing me. And if you look at the sailor's arms around her neck and waist, and the fact she's there limp with a clenched fist, shows this wasn't a shared moment of passion. Passion was being forced upon this young lady. Superficially, the picture is all about a celebration of joy and passion. But look into the details, and this iconic image shows there was far more to the story. Palm Sunday, I believe, can similarly be seen on two different levels. The first is as a day of celebration and jubilation, and the second is as something far more profound. So, back to the business of Palm Sunday and the cry, Hosanna which we've been singing about this morning. Hosanna, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heavens. Regardless of how you choose to interpret it, Hosanna is a word which demands attention. It's a word that invokes yearning. And it is a word to be spoken with passion. I'm pretty sure the story of Palm Sunday is familiar to most people, Christian or not. It's one of the few stories which has become embedded in the cultural psyche. Jesus enters Jerusalem on a donkey. Um, he went on some palm leaves. He came in great jubilation and triumph. Things turned sour and he ended up being crucified. These are the superficial details of the story, which are recorded in pictures of art such as this one. Iconic pictures in which the essence of the story is distilled down into some intellectual features. This is clearly a very historical episode in the Bible. There's no doubt amongst people, Christian or not, that this event occurred in the way it's described. The historical passages in the Bible might tempt us to take them at face value, to keep our search for meaning and depth to the Psalms and the Proverbs and the parables. But biblical stories are rarely so straightforward. There is much more to Palm Sunday if you take the time to look. For starters, it's well known the means of Jesus' triumphal entrance was to fulfill the prophecy of Zechariah written in the 6th century BC. Zechariah writes, Rejoice greatly, O daughter Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter Jerusalem. Lo, your king comes to us. Triumphant and victorious is he, humble and riding on a donkey, on a colt. The foal of a donkey. However, this was not just a time of simple celebration. Jesus breaks down and weeps 
when he sees the gates of Jerusalem. Soon afterwards, he curses the fig tree that bears no fruit. In the morning, when he returned to the city, he was hungry, and seeing a fig tree by the side of the road, he went to it and found nothing on it but leaves. Then he said to it, May no fruit ever come from you again, and the fig tree at once withered. Not long afterwards, as everyone knows, Jesus loses his temper in the temple courtyard. Are these acts of weeping, cursing and anger those of a triumphal, peaceful saviour? Such complexities can be debated intellectually. Which elements of the symbolism are important? Which should we include in our images, in our standard presentation of the story? But I feel that these debates miss almost entirely the central point of the entrance of Jesus to Jerusalem. Because at the center of this entrance is passion. There is high emotion. Emotion that can be lost, forgotten or obscured when we travel or debate a well-trodden path. It can make us forget that Palm Sunday is often borne the name Passion Sunday throughout the years. It details the actions of a passionate Christ, a human Christ to whom we can all relate. Passion is a great motivator. It lies behind many of the great acts of history. Without passion, there would be no great works of art, no great plays, no great films. The wonders of our universe would still be hidden to us. We wouldn't know space or the ocean depths. Smallpox would still be rampant. Without passion, nobody would create that perfect dance, play that perfect piece of music, write that perfect poem, score a perfect ten. Passion drives people to train, to study, to create, and to perfect. Passion is behind many of the great moments in our own personal lives. I wonder what state your passion is in at the moment. Is it fully aflame? Is it jaded? Is it with you now or is it a long lost memory? There are many different sorts of passion. Some are directed inwards and some are directed outwards. Some are for the self and some are for others. For example, there are passions that drive people to fulfill, a personal desire to dominate, the desire to win, be the best, be the first, be the most important, be the most beautiful, have a perfect body, a desire for fame, possessions and money. Falling into temptation for more, as in the story of Apple and Eve. If your passions lie in these areas, then you may well be destined for disappointment, as Solomon suggests in Ecclesiastes. There is always someone bigger, stronger, faster, cleverer, richer, thinner, more beautiful, And should you achieve your pinnacle for a time, you won't be there for long. There's always someone waiting in the wings. A time for winning and a time for losing. A time for waxing and a time for waning, as Solomon might have said. There are crimes of passion. Cain slaying Abel. David desiring Bathsheba. A sailor stealing a kiss off a nurse. Stories replayed endlessly throughout human history. We see the consequences of such passions every day in the news. 
A different sort of passion, though, is one which is directed outwards. A passion to serve and to help others. A passion to create for the sheer pleasure of creation. A passion to heal and console. A passion to love and a passion to right wrongs. If your passions lie in these areas, then the smallest of us are capable of the greatest of acts. When people are driven to step up to the mark, great things can happen from humble beginnings. Jesus came to earth with a passion for humanity, a passionate love for people, not just the rich and the powerful and the famous, but the poor, the weak, the sick, the incredible ordinary person. Jesus had a passionate desire to remove evil from the world. Evil caused by the selfish passion of selfish people. The passion of Passion Week relates to Christ's love and passion for humanity. It is easy to become used to the words, God so loved the world that he gave his only son. But he did. God entered the world to be with us, to walk with us, to die for us. Passion Week demands that we consider this gift. Passion Week demands that we consider the final walk of, week of Jesus, where he entered Jerusalem to walk willingly to the cross, to walk frightened, lonely, desperate, unsure, and with deep sadness up to the cross. It's a very simple story in many ways, but this is timeless and unchanging. Jesus' sacrifice was as much for you and me today as it has been for people each year for nearly 2,000 years. What does change, however, what is new and fresh, is how we as individuals choose to respond to the events of the Passion of Christ. What does Passion Week say to us? What is it urging us to do? What passions does it encourage us to fuel? What passions ought we to let go? The palm cross is a wonderful symbol. Pinned up at home or at work, it can remind us of the comfortable, wonderful, challenging and inspiring messages of the Bible. It can motivate us when times are tough. Remind us when our actions are not leading to something lasting, something meaningful. It can help us to grow into the people we were born to be. finish the service today, I'd like us all to take time to re-engage with Passion Sunday, to see Passion Sunday with fresh eyes, minds and hearts. Passion Sunday begins when Jesus approached Jerusalem for the final week of his ministry on earth. Jesus stood up to the mark, faced his purpose squarely and resolutely went forth. I'm going to do something called imaginative prayer. I'm going to read some sections of the Bible and I'm going to invite you to imagine that you are there experiencing the message. I invite you to close your eyes. I invite you to get comfortable and to relax. I invite you to listen to my words and to really imagine you are actually there 
at the time of this triumphal entrance. Immerse yourselves in the sights, the sounds, the smells and the emotions. Listen to God speaking in your heart. Imagine you are there in Jerusalem nearly 20 centuries ago. You are in the middle of a bustling crowd outside the city walls. It's a few days before Passover. Perhaps you're a resident of this ancient city, heaving with pilgrims. Perhaps you have travelled for several long, thirsty, dusty, weary days. In the crowd there are priests, soldiers, Jews, Gentiles. Children, grandparents, sisters, brothers. Perhaps you feel tired, excited, thoughtful, sad or happy. One thing links you all. You have all heard rumours of a prophet moving from town to town. A man called Jesus. Of his charisma and authority. Of his disciples, people who have left everything. Families, possessions, homes, livelihoods to follow Jesus. In the crowd, you can hear talk of scarcely believable miracles. Of a daring man who eats with the sinners, speaks with the oppressors, and challenges the meaning of the Jewish rituals. A man who, you hear whispered, yesterday drew Lazarus back from the death. And most remarkable of all, a man who dares to say, dares to say, your sins are forgiven. I wonder if this figure of Jesus conjures up hope, yearning, fear, misapprehension, mildly curious or deeply interested. Happy, desperate belief or unyielding scepticism. Regardless of who you are or what you think, the phenomenon of Jesus cannot be ignored as you stand in the crowd beneath the sun outside Jerusalem. An excited buzz passes through the crowd. He's coming, he's coming. He's coming down from Bethpage, just beyond the walls, high on the hills. You strain your neck, and there he is, on the Mount of Olives in the distance. You are near the gate. The children dash ahead excitedly. The adults follow, some with carefree abandon and some with dignity as befits their age. And there he is, winding his way down the hillside towards Jerusalem. A crowd of people surround this man, a man seated on a colt. You can almost taste and see his authority, even from a distance, his power. You are not surprised to see people bowing down laying down their cloaks and palm branches in the path of this Jesus of Nazareth. There is an excited clamour as the crowd draws closer. Hosanna! Hosanna to the son of David! Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest heaven! Hosanna! Are they jubilant? Are they yearning to be saved? 
But surely such a question can only be asked of, you can hardly think it, God himself. Confused with emotions, you recognize some of the Pharisees in the crowd. One of them stands confidently in the path of Jesus. Teacher, order your disciples to stop, he commands. The crowd falls silent with anticipation. There is a pause. How will the master respond? I tell you, you hear this Jesus say to the Pharisee, if these were silent, the stones themselves would shout out. His voice commands. The Pharisee stutters with confused anger and is forced aside as the crowd moves forward, seeing the praises of this Jesus. Could he really be the saviour of the people of Israel? Jesus and the crowd draw still closer. You find a good vantage point and wait by the side of the road. Your breath becomes shallow. Your heart beats faster and faster in your chest as Jesus approaches. He stops near to you and dismounts. He looks on the majesty of the great city of Jerusalem. He falls to his knees. The crowd stops, hushed, waiting expectantly. Jesus straightens himself. He is weeping. If you, even you, had only recognized on this day the things that make for peace, he sobs, as if talking to the city itself. But now they are hidden from your eyes. Indeed, the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up ramparts around you and surround you and hem you in on all sides. His powerful words send a chill down your spine. Jesus pauses. He wipes his tears and you catch sight of his eyes. In his momentary gaze, you feel your very soul exposed, vulnerable, flawed and unworthy. You see Jesus harden his gaze with resolve as he looks back down to Jerusalem. Sadness gone, there is a righteous anger in Jesus' eyes. You are frightened, you feel small. Surely this is a man sent from God, a man sent to perform great deeds, a man after whom nothing will be the same again. So, back to Camborne. All things change. Solomon in Ecclesiastes said, there is a time to be born and a time to die, a time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to keep silent and a time to speak. A time for war and a time for peace. Jesus stepped up to the mark to follow his passion for the world right through to the cross. It was his time to weep, to speak, to challenge and to die. What time is it for you? Pick up your palm crosses and go in peace into the week of the Passion of Christ.